Hear now the words of our scripture reading for today, Acts 15, verses 1 through 12. Certain men came down from Judea, taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Joseph, of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and of the apostles and the elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the fact of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needed to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bared them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us. So put no differences between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they then all the multitudes kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. The word of God for the people of God. So our message now, multiple titles from me, daughter-in-law Carrie Walling, our church member, Carrie Walling, and have been a professor of political science and human rights at Albion College for her message today. Good morning. So my name is Carrie Booth Walling, and I, as my mother-in-law said, I have been a, a professor at Albion College for the past 12 years. And each day that I enter my office on the third floor of Robinson Hall, I pass by the doors of the Anna Howard Shaw Center for Gender Equity. It's a gathering place for students who have been marginalized and excluded because of their gender, sexuality, and gender identity. Students describe it as a place of our own. It's a place where they can share ideas, 
access support, and work together to resist oppression based on gender and sexuality. The center raises awareness of women's rights and LGBTQ equality. It's a fitting tribute to its namesake, Anna Howard Shaw. Anna Howard Shaw was born in 1847. Given her family background, she was an unlikely leader. Anna came from humble beginnings. She was the daughter of a poor Michigan farmer, a white working class immigrant family that sought to establish a homestead in the great Michigan wilderness. Working the fields on an isolated frontier farm, she learned that she was just as capable and strong as the men in her family and that she loved working hard. It was in the wilderness of Macosta County that Anna first felt her calling as a young teenager. One day, as she was alone in the woods with the trees and her thoughts, she felt God's calling telling her to preach and to lead people to salvation. Now, she began her career Preparing for her career as a preacher in that same woods, Anna would practice her sermons standing on a tree stump before a congregation of listening trees. And by the age of 15, Anna was supporting her family on the income she earned as a school teacher. She was self-supporting, she was ambitious, and she was smart. But she knew that to succeed in becoming a preacher in a society that didn't value the contributions of women, that she would need not only God's support, but the support of a community of mentors. After Anna confided to a woman universalist minister that she too wanted to be a pastor, a group of mostly women mentors who recognized her talent and drive supported her further education. When she was 24, a man who was looking to ordain a woman into the ministry of the Methodist Episcopal Church recruited Anna to give her first sermon. It was a resounding success, and her passion for preaching was only strengthened. But her family, her friends, and her classmates disapproved. Her family refused to pay for her college education unless she abandoned preaching altogether. But Anna preached anyway. She was known for her ability to interact with and sense the needs of her audience and offer them just the word that they needed. So soon she was licensed as a preacher by the Big Rapids District Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church. And as a licensed preacher, Anna became eligible for a free college education at Albion College. So Anna attended Albion College from 1873 to 1875. The church paid for her tuition, and Anna paid for her own room and board by preaching and lecturing on the side. At Albion, her talents were nurtured by her professors. Like many Albion students today, Anna questioned and challenged the norms of her society. She found the college to be a safe place to push boundaries, 
question received wisdoms, and test new ideas. Like when she challenged the tradition of having the most important campus-wide student address given by a member of the all-male literary society. By popular demand, it was Shaw who would give the speech her year. Shaw's calling to the ministry was so strong that she left Albion early to attend seminary in Boston. But Boston was an Albion, and Anna soon learned that she was not wanted or welcome. Her class was composed of 42 men who didn't think that she belonged. She was the only woman, and she was the only seminarian to be denied room, free room and board. Anna had to live off campus, and she had to work to pay for her own meals. But people in Boston were not eager to listen to the words of a woman preacher, and she struggled to make ends meet. She was often exhausted and even weak with malnutrition. Eventually, Anna would become the second woman to graduate from Boston University School of Theology. But her battle with discrimination and exclusion had not ended. Upon graduation, she was refused ordination by the Methodist Episcopal Church. The church rejected her and God's gifts. So she left the denomination. In 1880, she was ordained by the Methodist Protestant Church, becoming one of the first women to be ordained in any branch of Methodism. Always believing that there was more that she should do, Anna would go on to earn her medical degree, become a practicing physician, and expand her ministry to preaching on social justice, women's rights, and world peace. By all accounts, she was one of the best women orators in American history, giving an estimated 15,000 sermons, lectures, and speeches, and reaching an estimated one million people directly. Her poor working class, Midwestern background helped her to broaden and diversify the women's suffrage movement. <clears throat> but a strange thing happened in the first half of the 20th century. Her legacy was practically erased. While other pioneering women of her era were celebrated and remembered, Anna Howard Shaw was written out of the story of American history and the story of the United Methodist Church. Her story isn't often told because the truth is we don't really know how to tell Anna Howard Shaw's story. The truth is that Anna Howard Shaw was complicated. She wasn't just a pioneering woman preacher. She was also someone who today we would call gender non-conforming. In her early days as a preacher and as an activist, she would appear in public with short, cropped, boyish hair. She preferred to wear men's clothing. And she quickly found that to be accepted and heard she would need to dress and present in a more feminine way. So she would put on a flowery hat and preaching robe over her trousers, but that never was really who she was. Not only was she gender non-conforming, but Anna Howard Shaw made decisions and had relationships 
that made people uncomfortable. Anna Howard Shaw had a committed, loving, 30-year relationship with Susan B. Anthony's niece, Lucy E. Anthony. The two women lived together, merged their finances, and functioned like a married couple. When Anna died in 1919, Lucy was at her side. While our terminology for these relationships have changed since Shaw's time, historians today are comfortable saying that Anna wasn't just a woman who was rejected as a preacher by the Methodist Church. She was also an LGBTQ plus woman who was forced to hide part of who she was from the church and from the world. And that raises an uncomfortable question for the church today. If Anna Howard Shaw, this gifted orator, this woman who excelled in her theological studies and felt so passionate about God's calling for her life that she would preach to the trees, if Anna Howard Shaw was to come to us today seeking ordination in the United Methodist Church, would she find that the doors are just as closed today as they were all those years ago? So those of you who have been following this month's sermon series may have noticed that the scripture lesson for today is the same scripture lesson that the series started with. This wasn't a typo. It was intentional. The teachers among us know that the most important lessons bear repeating. In our scripture reading this morning, we go back once again to the story of a great council of the apostles that happened in the early days of the church. The apostles called that council to address a great controversy that was brewing within the church. Paul and Barnabas had been traveling from place to place, preaching not only to Jews, but to Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas had even gone so far as to baptize Gentiles and to authorize them to preach. Many of the apostles felt that Paul had crossed a line. They believed that new Christians should be circumcised. They believed that the new Christians should follow the law of Moses. They interrogated Paul and his companions. They asked them, what authority do you have to do this new thing? What makes you think that you can overturn hundreds of pages of scripture and years of tradition. Paul and his friends had only one defense. Look at what God is doing, they said. This is new, and it is unexpected, and it has taken even us by surprise. But we believe that anyone who looks, who really looks at what God is doing, anyone who listens to the testimony of the Gentiles, Anyone who sees what God is doing through the work of their hands must admit that God has given them the Holy Spirit. If God does not discriminate, and if God has not required that they change, then why would we? In the end, Paul's argument won the day. The apostles could not deny what they had heard with their own ears and what they had seen with their own eyes. That day, the church did a remarkable and unexpected thing. 
Instead of allowing scripture and tradition to shape the way that they looked at these new converts, they allowed the witness of these new converts to change the way they interpreted scripture and traditions of the church. And maybe, just maybe, we are living in another one of those moments. A moment when it's time to read scripture in a new way and to live out our tradition in a new way that makes room for the new thing that God is doing among us. I believe that we can do it again, just as the church following Paul had done it before. So in this series, we've listened to how the doors of the church were closed to Harry Hosier, one of the greatest preachers of all time, when the Methodist church refused to ordain him because he was black. To do so would have violated the rules of the church, and it would have transgressed societal norms. The arguments that people made against ordaining people like Harry Hosier were the same arguments that the Pharisees made against ordaining Gentiles. Today, we are grateful that despite the persistence of racism in our society, the Methodist Church no longer excludes people based on race. And in this series, we've learned how Frances Willard, one of the most effective leaders in America during her lifetime, was denied a seat among the other elected representatives to the 1888 General Conference because women's participation was not permitted. To seat her would have been against the rules, and it defied societal norms. The arguments that people made against allowing Francis Willard to lead the church were the same arguments that Pharisees made against the ministry of the Gentiles. Today, we are grateful that despite the persistence of sexism in our society, the Methodist Church no longer excludes women from the pulpit or church governance based on sex. And today, we've learned about Anna Howard Shaw, a pastor, a physician, and women's rights activist who struggled physically and emotionally to do God's work and who persisted despite the opposition of her family the men in the seminary, and the Methodist Episcopal Church. We can lament the way that Anna had to switch denominations to continue preaching as an ordained minister. We might even applaud the way that she challenged the rules of the church and the norms of her society. But can we honestly say today that the doors of the United Methodist Church would be open to Anna Howard Shaw? Would the church accept the gifts bestowed upon her without condition? Or would it only accept her only if she continued to hide parts of her identity? Would the church only welcome her if she behaved according the societal expectations of her gender? Would she be welcome only if she followed the social teachings about human sexuality laid out in the Book of Discipline? Would she be welcome in some United Methodist churches, but not others? I don't have the answers to these questions. I do know that Anna Howard Shaw felt a sense of freedom during her time at Albion College.
Her college years were ones of comparative peace and personal growth. Albion, like many colleges, continues to be a place where many young adults find the freedom to be fully themselves. For some, this means they can stop hiding parts of who they are, parts of their identity that they may have felt they needed to hide at home and in church. As a college professor, I have seen how much it means to so many young people to have a place like that. A place where they're free to ask questions and challenge norms and just be who they truly are. And I long and I pray for the day when we can say with confidence that people will find that same sort of freedom when they walk through the doors of the United Methodist Church. I long for a day when we can say with confidence that God's Holy Spirit does not discriminate. God's grace does not make distinctions. God's love does not require people to hide who they are, and neither do we. Let us pray. God, we pray to truly understand the breadth and length and depth and height of your love and to share that love with others. Help us grasp that your grace is unlimited and immeasurable and to share that grace with others. Lord, give us eyes to see the gifts you have given to all your children and help us open the doors of your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.